Galatians 2, 11 to 21. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I die to the law, so that I may live for Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of God. Thanks, Amrita, and uh, do keep that uh, part of the Bible open. If you go to a new place, a new group, um, it's very natural to ask, oh, how do things work around here? What are the rules? How do I fit in? Um, You join a new club, a new church, a new gym. You're saying, oh, you know, what's what's accepted? What's approved? How do I be approved? Um, Those feelings go all the way back to school when we first arrived at school and you're sort of trying to work it out. And we learn in life, don't we, that certain things are expected and uh, I have to conform with them if I'm going to fit in around here. Uh, that desire for um, approval, for acceptance, isn't um, necessarily a bad thing. It's not something particularly we grow out of, because ultimately we're all wired to look for God's approval, for God's acceptance. So that's going to be the issue that we're going to dwell on today, is that issue of acceptance by God. How, how do you and I get that? God, by the way, uh, we say it sometimes, he's the one from whom no secrets are hidden. He's the one who sees through. However, we, Whatever game face we put on for the rest of the world, God sees through it. He sees our hearts. Well, how are you acceptable for God? For centuries, the answer was really clear. You had to become a son or a daughter of Abraham. You had either to be born Jewish, if you were lucky, or you had to convert to be Jewish. Because God had chosen that nation out of all the nations and promised, I will be your God and you will be my people. I've just remembered. On the back of the service sheet, you will find an outline for this talk. Um, I've remembered that because there's a reference to where you can find God making a covenant to be with uh, Abraham and his descendants. There's a long chapter I've uh, referenced there if you want to look it up. But there's an enormous privilege of being Jewish. God chose them. He gave them his 
law so that they knew how to live. And symbolically, he came to live with them in the temple in Jerusalem on, on that mountain. He was present with them, right at the heart of things, right at the heart of their nations. Jews were accepted and approved. Gentiles, like the rest of us, weren't. And it was, it was there in the symbolic structure of that temple. There was a wall, a court of the Gentiles, where riffraff could come. And then there was the court of the Jews. And then the holy place. And then the most holy place, where God symbolically dwelt, right there at the heart of the temple, right there at the heart of the nation. And there were walls to keep people out. Only one person ever went beyond the curtain into the Holy of Holies, the high priest, once a year, with the blood of sacrifice covering over his sins. Well, there was a wall in the temple. There's a wall in everyday life, too. That's how the Jewish law operated, the laws and requirements of the Old Testament, circumcision, food laws, Sabbaths, festivals. They made a division between the people of God and everyone else. But then Jesus came. Jesus came, and as he died on a hill outside Jerusalem, the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. A profound symbol of God saying, come in now, come in. Jesus has died through him, come in. Come in, Jewish people, come in, Gentiles. Come in, the way is open through Jesus' death. Because that once a year sacrifice for the high priest was only a symbol of the once for all sacrifice that Jesus would make on the cross. And that message of Jesus' achievement, of God's welcome, is the gospel. Paul refers to it in verse 14. He's already mentioned it in verse 5. The truth of the gospel. The news that you and I can be forgiven and free through Jesus. Forgiven of all our sins, past, present and future righteous before God without being religious, free to be the person God created you and I to be. It's wonderful news. That's the truth of the gospel, this phrase. But it comes then to a very practical, obvious question. Now what when it comes to daily life? How, how do you and I live our lives now? If we've come back to God and this wonderful truth about all Jesus has done for us, brilliant. How, what does it mean on a wet Wednesday or a sunny Tuesday or... What, what does it actually mean in practice? Simple, said some people back in the first century. The people mentioned in verse 12, certain men, Paul Corson, who claimed to have come from James in Jerusalem. Simple, now keep the law. It's always good enough in the Old Testament, wasn't it, for the people of God then? Well, that's how to follow God. That's how to be righteous now, is keep the Old Testament law. And Paul replies throughout this letter, No way. Don't do that. Galatians is full of passion because the truth of the gospel, freedom in Christ that he's bought for you and for me, is at stake. It's in danger of being lost. The freedom he wants us to have is in danger of being lost under a pile of rules, a pile of regulations. And it brought one of the most dramatic moments in the New Testament, this, this clarity that God gave Paul to, to see these things. Uh, so if you look at verse 11, uh, it mentions, doesn't it, this confrontation in Antioch between the Apostle Peter 
and the Apostle Paul, this upstart apostle who didn't actually spend those three years with Jesus like Peter did, and yet confidently and rightly rebuked him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. And you can imagine the Antioch evening standard that week, can't you? Major row in the church. Apostle Peter and Apostle um, uh, uh, Paul at loggerheads. And Paul's writing this years later. But instead of sort of, oh dear, that was a bit embarrassing, wasn't it? And brushing it under the carpet, he writes about it. He wants everyone to know about it, not because of his reputation, but... Look at verse 14. Because Peter at the time was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. He was behaving in a way that was not what God wants for us. It's not the freedom God wants for his people. And and Paul could see it so clearly. Either the gospel puts you right with God and makes you righteous through Jesus... Or it doesn't. There's not a sort of another category, a halfway house, where you're kind of right with God, but you're not really in the in crowd. Apparently, um, at uh, Marlebone Cricket Club, at Lord's uh, Cricket Ground, um, there are two types of members. You can either be a full member. There's just a small matter of a 27-year year waiting list for, to become a full member, I gather. Or you can be an associate member, which doesn't take quite as long. And being an associate member is good. It gives you access to Lords, you can buy the tickets, you can sit and watch the games. But if you'd go to the pavilion to try and buy a drink during the Ashes Test match, you'd go up to the bar and the responsible, oh, I'm terribly sorry, sir. Four members only. Or if you go to the annual general meeting and try and vote on something, I'm sorry, madam. Um, you're only an associate member. I'm afraid you don't have the rights of a, a full member and you can't vote. You see, they have full members and associate members. Is it the same in the Christian church? You're sort of in if you're a Gentile but not really good at keeping the law. No, says Paul, that's not the truth of the gospel. Christ has ripped the curtain in half. Access to God is open to all through him we're fully God's people. It's not how other people, other people saw the Gentile Christians, thought, oh, gosh, Gentiles, oh, I guess they're Christian, but they're not proper Christians because they don't keep the law. And that's how they saw it. And Peter, dear old Peter, he, even he was sort of taken in by it. Even Barnabas, uh, who uh, Paul, uh, was a traveling companion of Paul in verse 13, even he was led astray because they were arguing it from the Bible, but they were misunderstanding the Bible. And Paul's going to explain that uh, in these weeks to come. How, sure, in the Old Testament, you needed to come under the law. You needed to be circumcised. You needed to keep the food laws. You needed to keep Sabbath. But what he's teaching here, and it's so wonderful and radical, how how much of all that do you need to keep to be a proper Christian, a full Christian, The answer is none at all. Because being a Christian is not about observing the law. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. Law-keeping is not how we're justified. And law-keeping is not how we're to live either. That's the radical thing here. So, 
let's go to those two things in turn, how we're justified, how we live. We're justified by faith in the Son of God, it says here. And justification is a courtroom word. The uh, trials happen, the judge is about to pronounce the verdict, and the verdict of justified is not guilty, and actually it's even more positive than that. It's, it's righteous, it's absolutely as you should be. So if you look at verse 16, Paul's uh, writing this down, and he sort of says the same thing three times. We know that a man, a woman, is not justified by observing the law, okay, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So, we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ. Okay, got it, second time? And not by observing the law. And if in case we haven't got it, he says it one more time, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Yeah? Pretty clear, isn't it? Imagine you're 10 years old again. Okay, come with me on this. I realize it's a while ago for some, but imagine you're 10 years old and your mum, having just seen the state of your room, has said in no uncertain terms she wants it cleaned up by tea time. She has to go out shopping um, and uh, leaves you to it. But it's a sunny day, and when she's gone, you think, well, I'll just nip up to the park for a few minutes, see if anyone's there. And, and there are, there's lots of people there, and you play with them, and the afternoon goes by, and it gets to tea time, and you get hungry, and you think, oh, oh. And as you go back, your head sinks and your heart sinks and you're thinking, gosh, I've got a face for mum and I haven't cleaned up. And you knock on the door and it opens. And she's beaming. Lovely to see you. And puts a kiss on your forehead and comes in and, you, and, and gives you a, a huge bear hug. And then there's this fabulous spread of all your favourites for tea. And you're thinking, I've entered the twilight zone. What's going on? And you have tea, and, and, and then you sort of gingerly go upstairs, and you come into your room, and you think, wow, is this my room? Everything's in place. Even, even the Lego and all the toys are in the box. The books are there, and they're in height order. And everything's folded up and put away, and it's all colour-coordinated. And then you go out onto the landing, and you think, oh, this is pretty clean too, and it's, it's been hoovered. And, and as you're thinking, what, how? Your big brother walks past, gives you a smile, a little wink, and you realise that actually... He's done it all, and you've got the credit. Now, I don't know where you get big brothers like that either. Um, <laughs> haven't got the secret to that. Although, that is what Jesus has done, isn't it? Our big brother, as it were, our saviour, the one who is the son of God, who makes us daughters and sons of God as well. That's justification by faith. That's grace. Our lives are like a bedroom that even on our best days is always a bit untidy. There's always sin present. We may clear up a couple of bad habits, but then other ones emerge. However hard we try, we can't do it, but Jesus has done it. He cried on the cross, it's finished. It's all cleaned by him. The curtain is ripped the entrance to the presence of God is 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 open through him and it's not just that it's not just he pays for my wrong he credits to my account 
all of his righteousness, his standing before God becomes your standing and my standing when we put our faith in him. It's, it's, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned at all. No, co- no charge to answer in God's court. No fine to be paid. This year we're remembering uh, the 500th year of, um, uh, since the Reformation in Europe, uh, which really changed the church. And uh, yeah, uh, it's, it, was a, it was a movement over a period of years, but um, 500 years ago this autumn, um, a chap called Martin Luther nailed up onto the uh, front door of the Wittenberg Church 95 theses, 95 debating points that he thought the uh, Roman Catholic Church of his day needed to debate and understand and needed reformation on these 95 points. What he and the others, the reformers in Europe, discovered was that when you look at books like Galatians, the gospel, the truth of the gospel is, is much more radical than was being expressed by the church of his day. It, it, it summarized, uh, they, they summarized it as justification, being right with God, is by grace alone, through faith alone. The church of his day, and this is still church taught in Roman Catholicism, was teaching that you need faith and works together in order to be right with God. But what does Paul say? What is it in the bit we read, verse 16? But it's we too who have put our faith in Jesus that when we were justified are not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. You see... The only way you and I can be right with God is just by receiving that as a gift. That righteousness is a gift through Jesus. We're justified by faith in him alone. Not by our works, not by our law keeping. It's so radical. I mean, that's pretty radical. But what Paul goes on to say is even more so, I think. Which is, we're not justified by faith. We also live by faith in the Son of God. Look at verse 20. The life I live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not just I trust Jesus to save me. I trust him to lead me in life too. I trust him as I live my life, as you live your life. You want to trust his will for you, his word to you, his way that he leads you into. And so you, you and I are to live by faith in him every day. But what about sin? We started with that question. Let's come back to it now. Verse 17 asks it, doesn't it? You know, what, what if I'm justified in Christ and it becomes evident I'm still a sinner? Does that mean Christ approves of sin? You know, if he's the big brother who clears up after me, well, can I just do as I please? The people who were saying the answer is the Old Testament law come under that. It seems to be an answer, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, okay, come under the law, and that will tell me how to live my life. But no, says Paul, that's not how I live. That's not how any Christian should live. We're not under the law. We rather put our faith in Christ, and we follow him. And so he talks in verse 20 about living by faith. There's two parts to it. First is understanding what it means to be in Christ, what it, what's happened to us, what's changed. You are a different person now. And the other is to understand what it costs to bring that about in our lives, how loved we are. You see, at the beginning of verse 20, it talks about a swap. It's saying that um, when Jesus died, your old self, my old self, 
was crucified with him. That somehow, as we put our faith in him, that's the link that God makes in the spirit realm, is that my old self, with all of its sin, is crucified with him. It's punished there, my sin, and my old self dies, but at the same time, Christ comes to live in me. Yeah, You see that in that pattern, that the old self has gone, but Christ in me, I, I, that's how Paul describes his life now, eternal life. Uh, verse 9 talks about it in terms of the law. The law says if you sin, you die. Well, Jesus did die. And so the law carried out its sentence. And it means that because we died with him in the spirit realm, we've been linked with him, that our relationship with law, which condemns us, has been replaced with a relationship directly with God through the Son of God where we are righteous and able to please him. Do you see, there's an extraordinary swap happened. And so it was, and it was all legal and proper. We'll see a bit more about that next week. It's, that's Paul's really keen to understand that. So understand, things have changed for you now. If you've put your faith in Christ, you're a different person than you were beforehand. Or if you have always grown up trusting Christ, you're a very different person than you would have been if you'd never heard of him. Understand that. And then also understand what it costs. That's the second half, verse 20, isn't it? He loved us and gave himself for us. You know, when we realize Jesus, Jesus bringing us back to God, it didn't just cost him a bit of time out from being in heaven. He came and lived on earth for a while. It cost him taking our sin on himself, facing God on a cross. God, as we sang in our first hymn, pouring out his wrath on our sin, on his own son. Just the cost of it. And he does it gladly, willingly, out of love for you, out of love for me, out of love for the world, that it might come back to God. And as my brain and my heart and my soul receive that truth, it helps me to trust Jesus. He does know best about my life. He loves me. He not only made me, he loves me. He's brought me back. He cares for me. And so I want to become a bit more like my big brother, as I understand that. So that you and I, as we live our lives, it's not there are a whole load of rules to live by um, from the Old Testament or from some sort of church pronouncement. No, it's rather a living relationship where we put our faith in Jesus and whatever he says is righteous, and this is what we're going to get to, it's not rules, it's righteousness. Whatever he says is righteous, we want to say, okay, I trust you, Jesus. That's the right thing for me to do. I want to follow whatever you says is, say is right. And so, actually, we do obey Jesus. So, actually, there are commands that he gives, and we do obey them, but it's out of love for him. And so the dynamic in the Christian life is just so different. It's not, here's a set of rules, keep the rules. It's rather, here is a saviour who loved you and died for you and calls you to follow him. Trust him. And so follow him. And obey him. And love him. And let him lead you. One practical application. Just to land this, that's about everything in our lives, but to land this in the way that Paul does here. If we're all accepted by faith, then we must all accept one another. We mustn't slide into the trap that even Peter slid into of thinking, well, there are some really proper Christians and some pretty rubbish associate Christians. 
I don't know what we might do that over in our church. So it might be it might be how sort of upright and godly someone looks on the outside. We might say, oh, well, they're a proper Christian. I don't know whether I am or I don't know whether he is or she is. Do we do that ever? Do you ever find those attitudes in your hearts? Or, or another church and we think, you know, they don't, do, they don't do church right. You know, we do church right. They do, they do it wrong. They've got the wrong Bible or the wrong experience or they're, all, they're not as serious as we are. Or whatever it is. And we start to draw divisions in the kingdom of God where we're all fully righteous in Christ. We need to live that out. We need to follow faithfully, but we're accepted because of him. The striking thing about this argument between Peter and Paul is that actually Peter technically believed everything that Paul says, but it's just he wasn't acting in line with it. That's how it's expressed in verse 14. He was adding these extra rules and only eating with Jewish people who were keeping the rules. Uh, What what might push us into that? It might be fear, verse 12, like it was for Peter. A lobby group came from Jerusalem and he was afraid of them, afraid of his reputation. It might be verse 13, led astray into wanting to be part of a gang and rather than just do whatever God says is right. I just wanted to raise that because I think, we've, I think there is an issue for us in our culture and in, even in our church family where there are certain people who we sort of think, oh, you know, they're really, they're really proper Christians and we're not necessarily as welcome as we should be to everybody. And we want to be. So that's something for a review, for reflection ourselves. Think about the people that you ring in the week. Are they just people like you? Or do you actually have friends in this church that are very different from you, but actually we're one in Christ? We're justified by faith in the Son of God. And we live by faith in the Son of God. He's the only one we need. He's everything we need. And the life that God calls us to is supposed to be an adventure, actually. Not a list of rules to follow, but an adventure following Jesus wherever he leads in everyday life, on a wet Wednesday, on a sunny Tuesday, trusting him and thanking him more and more and becoming like him and following after him and doing that with a gang of brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever our different backgrounds, following him together. Let me lead us in prayer. This life that we live now, We want to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And so, Lord, we pray that these truths would sink into us, soak into us, change us, that we might be men and women who live in that way. For your glory's sake. Amen.